Right. Today's message is entitled, God's Goodness in the Workplace. God's Goodness in the Workplace. Been kind of on a, a series here about God's goodness, and uh, so we want to jump into what that looks like in the workplace. Going to begin with a fun fact. Well, I hope it's fun. And that is, um, if you want to live long, what are the components in people having a long life? Other than genetics... What is the one single factor that they say causes people to live long or live longer? A lot of uh, explanation here. If you, go into, and you, if you go on the internet, you'll find it'll say genetics and life choices. But actually today, I want to propose that it's genetic and job satisfaction. Because you spend a lot of time at work. You do. We all, we all do. We spend a lot of time at work. And so if you hate your job, then, you know, maybe you'll see Jesus sooner than the rest of us. How many think you're going to die any minute? No, just kidding. Don't raise your hands. That's not cool. Maybe you're in your best job ever. Or maybe you're in your worst job ever. I don't know. As I look back, my, my tenure of all the jobs that I've been involved in, I, I don't know that I've ever had a bad job. I really, I mean, some of them were harder than others. Some of the reasons why I was doing the job was like, I didn't necessarily choose this, but had to do something. But I really look back and what I've done, and I'm like, you know, that, it, was, it was fun. I learned something. I had fun in every job, even though they were not all easy. I mean, I, I grew up farming, so that was, you know, that was, that was that, farming. And I did a lot of things on the farm. Also, when I started going to college, in, in between years, I uh, worked at a metal shop. And then I worked uh, putting on standing seam roof or metal roof. That was pretty hot during the summertime, but that was fun. I worked with a couple of old guys, and they were hilarious. I um, also uh, worked for a, um, a professor during my uh, junior and senior year in college. I uh, then got a job in a manufacturing company. I was doing manufacturing sales when I met Wanda, and I was traveling over every other week, and I met her, and I'm like, I want to stay home. So that was done with that job. And then I started building houses. I was in residential construction for a year. Started pastoring. Then while pastoring, took up and operated a, a, a lawn mowing landscape business for a while. And now I'm focused on pastoring. So that's kind of the tenure of things that I've done in my life. Oh, I did have a couple of multi-marketing level product stints, but they all fizzled out. I just like, that's not for me. Um, so, you know, these jobs... Again, that I've had, I can't look back and I'd say, they were all added something to my life. I enjoyed them and, and I appreciate them. But maybe you're not like that. Maybe you've had a lot of terrible jobs and, and uh, you're ready to see Jesus any day now. I don't know. But let's just, yeah. But um, you know what? Things can change, right? All right, good. There's one person who agrees with me. So we're going to dive in today with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And uh, this one says... To, um, it says, for we are his workmanship. Ephesians 2 verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God has prepared beforehand that we would walk in. What this verse communicates to me is that we are the workmanship of God. In other words, God created us to work. And he created us to do good works in Christ. So therefore, if I'm out of Christ, that doesn't mean that I'm doing great work. In fact, I could be doing destructive work. I could be doing terrible work outside of Christ. But in Christ, 
the work that I do is going to be good. It's going to bring him glory. So that's what this verse kind of communicates to me. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And as we understand this, what is, what is work? Work really takes on some kind of visible form. You have a product. You have a procedure. You have something that you can see, something you can touch. And so God worked in us his workmanship. I mean, look at the person on your left or your right. That's the workmanship of God. Amazing when you think about it that way. Sometimes it changes the perspective of one another. He's doing a good work in us together. And in Christ, we're doing good work together. So number one, let's just dive in here today. We serve a God that works. We serve a God that works. Genesis 2.2 records, in the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. In creation narrative, God is a worker. We call it creation, but God was working the whole time. All the other gods that are in the world that people worshipped did not work. Zeus didn't have a job. Baal didn't have a job. Moloch didn't have a job. Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, our God that we serve, is a worker. And that's a distinction between all the, one distinction between us and all the other gods. The other gods that people worship, they enslaved the people. They like, you know, they, they pictured them as sitting on a throne someplace and hands crossed and waiting until they messed up so they could whip them and maybe wipe them out. That was the false gods that people served. But our God's a worker. He started creating, and it says he rested from his work. So he loved his work. He loved his creation. He loved you and I that God made. So our God is a worker. And so when we understand bringing the goodness of God to work, we have to understand who we serve and that we are created in his likeness. A couple of points there that I have is that we're given the privilege to work. If God is a worker and we are created in his workmanship, then we are given the privilege to work. Genesis 2.15 records, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. So that was the job that we were given. It was not something that we were supposed to toil and labor over. Once sin came into the world, that happened. But beforehand, it wasn't supposed to be. Therefore, in Christ, we are redeemed. And we should enjoy what we do. I've cited there that what does it mean to be in the garden of Adam and Eve? Create, take care of, and share. Create, care, and share. In other words, we're serving. We live today in a throwaway society. It's just, you know, we throw away plates and plastic cups and, and we have drive through and, and we throw away products and automobiles wear out and appliances go bad and, and products that we buy. We only expect them to last for a period of time and then they're done. We throw them out. We buy new ones. And so that's the mentality that has come into our lives that, that we've kind of grown up with and, and we tend to think that way. Oh, it's just going to wear out. And so we don't think about our job that we have of being from the Lord that is something that as we work we're actually building a legacy that's honoring Him. 
We don't think that way. We just think that when we're done, we'll retire and do something else. And, and, and you know, that which we did for a period of time w would never last or would never be remembered. But that's not how God sees it. He sees something else. And as we, as we uh, walk into even the culture that we have today, we realize that many people in the culture today do not have this view of work. In other words, they come and they grumble and they gripe and they complain and they do what they do and then they leave. And I was, um, uh, drew my attention this week to a, a video that's been circling, uh, circ uh, circulating through the internet. And um, it's really from um, Oxford's um, Union Society in, in Great Britain. And the way I understand is that this, this um, society has uh, created an atmosphere, a place where people can come and discuss controversial issues and they, they do it in a, a very orderly way and they take a topic and then they have you know people that are uh, for it and people that are against it and they just talk out what they understand it to be and so this uh, topic that had, uh, had surfaced and I watched all eight uh, sections of this, this setting but there was one that rose to the top and I'll comment on that one in a few moments but the topic was, has, has woke culture gone too far? That was the comment. And uh, so I said, well, I'm going to watch the whole thing and see if I can learn something. Well, one of the things that I, that I learned is that uh, when woke began, it was really based on three things. It was based on grow in awareness, don't be prejudiced, and uh, accept people. That's the tenets of what it started. So grow in awareness, be aware and don't be prejudiced and accept people. Now, you and I, hearing those three, we would say, oh, wow, that's good. That's godly. But the reality is it got hijacked along the way. And that was the topic of the discussion. And so it got hijacked in such a way that, that even though these are the end, end goals, the ways and means that they're going about to achieve these goals are destructive. In fact, I would call them demonic. And obviously, that didn't come out in the debate, but any, that's my, my view of the matter. And yet, the intention of how they started out was actually good. We could even say they're godly. But yet, the way the world goes about is actually causing more harm than good. Now, this was one that uh, spoke during that... Uh, that uh, he was a Russian-born British uh, comedian, and... Uh, he, uh, he says this, he says, Wokeness has gone too far because it brainwashes people to become victims of their circumstances with no agency out. Therefore, all you can do is complain and protest and throw soap on pa uh, soup on paintings. And I added, throw down, uh, tear down statues. And then he turned and he said this, The only way to improve the world is to work, create, and build. And that is why woke has gone too far. I'm like, wow, there he is. He picked out a piece of how God would think and laid it out on the table for others to consider as well. Number two, the great deception is to divide the sacred with, uh, uh, as opposed to the secular. In other words, to take the fact that my work during the week is secular and my attendance at church or small group or however prayer meeting, that's sacred. And we've kind of grown up with that mindset that we separate out the two. Well, we say, oh, that's just business. 
or that's just politics, or that's just education, or that's just the medical community. We tend to think that way and, and, and even converse that way. Oh, that's just the way that sector of society operates. But that's not how God thinks. He thinks entirely different. So he, we're the ones that are, are understanding how he thinks so we can flow in that same way. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, he says, whatever you do, I don't know what you do. He didn't qualify it. He said, whatever you do, whether you're a housewife at home, whether you're retired doing something, whether you're, you know, going, uh, working 12 hours a day or eight or six or flexible, I don't know. He said, whatever you do. So you qualify, whatever you do, whatever. He says, put your whole heart and soul into it as into work done for God, not merely for people, knowing that you're real Reward is a heavenly one. It will come from God since you are actually employed by Christ and not just by your earthly master. That's a J.B. Phillips translation. How would your work environment change if you read this verse every day before you went to work? Would it change things for you at work? He starts out, whatever you do. Paul doesn't say if you're a white-collar worker, you have these standards. If you're a blue-collar worker, you have these other standards that are different from that. And if you have a ring around a collar, you need to put that in the wash. <laughs> Paul started his career as a tent maker. And after he became a tent maker, he ran a terrorist organization. And then he converted to Christianity, and he preached the gospel and became an apostle. But there's times after becoming apostle that he went back to his tent-making job because those that he was ministering to didn't have the means to support him. And so he went back willingly, eagerly, and did his tent-making job so that he could continue to preach the gospel. See, he considered it all ministry. He was just doing what was needed in order to continue the call that God had on his life. And he didn't care whether or not they would take up an offering for him or whether he was out, again, making tents in the backyard in order to sell, in order to have food and a roof over his head and travel money to get to the next place. But the Apostle Paul, in his writings, he cites about what it meant to be an apostle. Let me read it for you. 2 Corinthians 11, 22 through 28. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked and I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. And I've I've, I've often gone without food, and I've been cold and naked. 
And besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of concern for all the churches. So if you'd like to enter pastoring with Paul today, there's a sign-up sheet at the information desk after the service. Now that you know what he went through, here's what he wrote. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Not working for people, but for God. Because your affirmation and your reward will come from heaven to earth. See, we have this perception of what work is and what it isn't. I've not watched the movie. I just heard the clip of Dumb and Dumber. Their truck is, is it looks like a dog, okay? I saw it. So the two characters come out of Dumb and Dumber, and they get out of the truck, and it's late at night, and they're like, ah, we cannot find a job anywhere unless you want to work 40 hours a week. Yeah, really. There was uh, this kid went to kindergarten. This, this is, uh, uh, heard this pastor kid went to kindergarten and asked, what's your father do? Kid says, my dad doesn't work. He's a pastor. <laughs> In the movie City Slickers, Chevy Chase, his kids were at school and they were asking what their father did. He was selling radio ads. They said, what does your dad do? He sells air. <laughs> I've learned over the years, never ask a mother if she works. That's a no-no. You ask them if they work outside of the home. That's better. Because honestly, moms, they put in about 80 hours a week. Seriously. Taking care of the kids in the house and feeding everybody and cleaning. I tell you, it's a, it's, a, it's a massive job. A lot of work. A lot of work. And yet we, we've been conditioned in the public to separate out this idea that uh, work is not ministry, and, you know, we, we would really ar 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 arrive if we just get into full-time ministry. So if you aspire to that thought, here's, here's some ideas or, or something you need to consider. First of all, does God separate his work from his ministry? We have to, we have to ask that self a question. In Colossians 3.17, again, Apostle Paul, in another book to another group of churches, says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Another reference there of whatever you do. Again, do for the glory of God. Jesus was 30 years as a carpenter. 30 years as a carpenter. Let me ask you a question whether God separates his work from ministry. Do you think that during the 30 years that Jesus was a carpenter, that he constructed shoddy furniture? Do you think that during those 30 years that he had tables and cabinets recalled because he, didn't, he did improper work? Do you think or used wood that began to rot? Do you think that, that Jesus ordered in the catalog the cheapest fixtures so that he could make the most profit margin? I don't think so. I think the shop that he and his father worked in for those 30 years is probably the best in the town. You want to get the best furniture? Go to Joe and Jesus' shop because it's really good stuff. 
You can count on it. There'll be no recalls there. What was happening? Because their work was their ministry. Consistent. God views his work as ministry, and we should as well. Here's another thought. When did Jesus get into the will of the Father? See, we would tend to say that, oh, you leave your secular job and you enter full-time ministry. Now you've arrived. Now you're in God's will. So the question we have to ask then, if we would say that or believe that, then we would have to say that Jesus was out of the will of the Father for 30 years, and then suddenly he got, oh, wow, I need to be in full-time ministry. Maybe I should get baptized. And then begin to show people what the kingdom of God is like. And the father went, oh man, now my son's in my will. Is that the way, is that the way it happened? No, I don't think so. Jesus was fully in the will of the father when he was born. All the way up through his growing up years and into the carpenter years. He was fully in the will of the Father all the way through. So you and I should never think that whatever we do or are doing that we're outside of the will of God. Unless he calls us to something else. And I've had that happen to me. I've been fully, I was fully in the will of God driving a dump truck. I got, to, I got to drive a bulldozer one day. That was really cool. I'd like that. So we should think we're fully in the will of God, whatever we're doing, and begin to honor him in that way. Jesus never stepped out of the will of God during his whole life. In fact, at the end, in John 17, 4, he prayed this. One of his last prayers, he said, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. That word work, if you look it up in the Thayer's Greek lexicon, that word work means business, employment, that which anyone is occupied with, any product, anything accomplished by the hand, art, industry, and your mind, an act, a deed, and a thing done. That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? What work is all about, some aspect of work. So let's jump into going back to the title of the message, God's goodness at work. How do we then display his goodness where God has called you and where you spend 40 plus hours a week or more? How do we reveal Jesus at work? That's the question. I found this clip from, uh, there's a TV series called uh, Silicon Valley, and I've never watched the series, so I don't know if it's terrible or terrific. But I like this clip, so let's uh, take a look. Before we, before we take a look, the, the, what's going to happen when they pull up is that two of the owners are doing an interview with uh, somebody that they want to hire. So that's how it comes up, and we'll take a look and see what happens. Now, it says here on your, your resume that from 2010 to 2011, you crushed it. That's actually an old resume. It should also read that I crushed it from 2013 to present. So are we to understand that you did not crush it in 2012? There was a medical situation preventing me from crushing it to my usual standards, so... I had to take some time off until I was able to crush it at 100%, at which point I resumed crushing it full-time. There you go. So how do we crush it at work, huh? Let's find out. Crush it for the kingdom. Uh, here we are. So... 
as you, if you have an outline, you'll see some boxes down the, the six, six different areas. And I want you to take note that maybe you'll check one of those boxes and say, I need to make a change here. I want to display more of the goodness of God at work. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine. Whose light is it? It's the light of Jesus. Let it shine so that others may see it and give glory to God. Here we go. Number one. The first is this. You want to crush it at work? Know that Jesus is with you always. Know that Jesus is with you always. John 14, 16, and 17, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus living within us. We're never alone. It should be never about us and the computer. Never us and the hammer, never us in the pen, never us in the children, never us in the phone call, never us in the conversation, never us in the expectation, never us in the disappointment, never us alone. Always Jesus is with us. If you want to crush it at work for the kingdom, never forget that. He's always with you. He is always with you. You may think, man, my job is at a really low place, right? In fact, it feels like hell. Let me encourage you with this. Psalm 139, David says, if I'm in heaven, you are there. We would expect that. But then he goes on to say, if I make my bed in Seol, which could be translated hell, you are there. Wow. So God's with us. We need to understand that. Second thing is, don't complain, solve problems. Don't complain, solve problems. If you would just do the first two, you'd be far above a lot of other people at work. Seriously. Remember that Jesus is with you and don't complain, solve problems. You'd be way far ahead than most of the other people at work. Have you ever noticed that people that uh, complain a lot, they want to really fix problems, don't they? I mean, that's what they like to see. They like to see some things fixed. They like to see some new procedures or something else done, and that's really what they're after. And yet sometimes they're not really seeking solutions or trying to figure it out. They just want to complain. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 speaks into that. It says, do everything without grumbling or complaining so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. See, when I'm around people who are chronic complainers, one of the things that I purpose to do then is shift the conversation, such as, well, I'm really grateful to have a job. Or maybe that person's going through a rough time. Or maybe, uh, maybe, maybe things are not as, you see, as they seem. Just shift it a little bit. And what you'll find happen is that person that complains all the time, they'll either stop complaining or they may agree with you that they're grateful to have a job or maybe they'll just walk away. Because really what complaints are after, they're just after some kind of soil to take root in. 
That's what they're after. And if you reject the complaints that are coming because you already have your soil coming, uh, springing forth with the fruit of the goodness of God, then it can't take root. Number three, refrain from using the world's language. Refrain from using the world's language. We had an elders meeting this week and one on the elder team were sharing about the fact that they got a new boss. And one of the co-workers had worked with this boss that they were getting and they said, you're going to like your new boss. And she says, well, how? And they said, well, he's just like you. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And they said, he doesn't cuss. Oh, it's, yeah, it should be grateful for you that we have somebody, you know, the elder team don't cuss at work. So that should be a good thing. But no, just kidding. You know, it's amazing how we as unbelievers, you know, we, an, we analyze ourselves differently than the world looks at us. And the language that we choose to use or don't use causes them to take note. I was, uh, some friends sent me an interview of uh, a podcast of two Navy SEALs. They were on uh, Team 2, I believe. They hadn't seen each other a long time. And so the host had brought his friend in that he hadn't seen in a long time. He said, one of the things I noticed about you is the last six months that you've stopped using four-letter words. And the guy, guest came on and said, oh yeah, I purpose to do that. He said, well, tell me about that. He said, well, I was on the SEAL team, and it's kind of the culture of what happened. But he said, now that I'm a dad, and I'm influencing my children, and I'm in a different place, a different culture with different people, he said, those words, they, they don't help. In fact, they, just, they destroy, and I don't want to be associated with them anymore. Therefore, I just stopped using those four-letter words. And the host goes, wow, I'm amazed at you. So let me ask you, fellow believers, are we in a different kingdom? Then we should use different language. And as a result, people will take note. Simple as that. Ephesians 4, 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You do that, you'll crush it in the kingdom. Here we go. Here's the next one. Respond differently to pressure. Can you respond differently to pressure? Emily on the elder team, she was sharing about this is a biggie for her at work. She's in a very uh, a situation where uh, immediately there can be a lot of pressure happening quickly. And so she's had to kind of gear up to be prepared for those kind of settings to respond appropriately and adequately in those pressured situations. And she's done it really well. Sometimes she's worn out by the end of the day. But when those situations come at her, she said, I've learned through the grace of God and being filled with the Spirit before I leave that I can handle it. I can be victorious in those pressured moments. And the world looks at us to see how we will respond in pressured moments. That's a key thing for them to see how we will respond, whether or not we come unglued, whether or not we become fearful, whether or not we join in and with what they are feeling as well, and yet we don't. Hallelujah, man. We're ready for a light show. I like it. You know, what if we don't handle the pressures very well? What if we don't? Then wh wh why, why is that? I think of three things, and that is this. If we don't handle the pressure very well, we are probably feeding on how the world handles pressure. 
we're feeding on that. Whether we learn it from, um, you know, whether we learned it from watching too much TV or whether we just uh, absorb it from others around it, but we're feeding on that too much. Secondly, is that we're not feeding on the Word of God enough. We're not putting the Word of God in us enough, therefore, that we have the ability that when that pressure comes at us, that we respond in the goodness of God rather than how they respond. And then thirdly, we could just be burned out. We could just absolutely be burned out. And as a result, we just don't have the, the capacity to really respond in the appropriate way. And Jesus has a remedy for that. I'll talk about it at the end. But 2 Peter 3.15 and 16 says this, Indeed, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. If anyone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Conscience clear. If a person, if a people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. All right. Here we go. A couple of more. That is this. You want to crush it at work in the kingdom? Care about people, not just about quotas. Care about people, not just about quotas. You've probably noticed that everybody at your workplace isn't always having a good day. <laughs> sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But God has given you an ability that when you walk in and you notice that somebody's not having a good day, not on your employer's time, but on your time, whether in the break room or lunchtime or maybe cleaning up at work, just to go to that person and say, hey man, doesn't seem like you're having a good day, or lady, you want to talk about it? And just listen. You don't have to solve their problem. Just listen. And if you just ask them or acknowledge that they're not having a good day, and you just listen for maybe five minutes of what they share, you will spread the goodness of God in that situation with that person. Guarantee you. We're spreading the goodness of God. We're crushing it at work in the kingdom. So care about people, not just quotas. I don't always do it, but... There's uh, times that I uh, will ask a waitress if they have anything I'd like to pray for them for when, before I bow my head and, you know, eat my food. And so I happened to be out a couple of weeks ago, and there was a pregnant lady that was serving me. And so I asked her if there's anything to pray. She said, yes, my four-year-old son has been sick ever since he's been born. And I go, wow, that's terrible. And so I prayed for her son. And then at the cash register, I was checking out. She was adding more information about the situation with the son. I mean, she was just really open. You know, some people are like startled. They're like, ah. Oh. And other people are like, whoa. And some people really like that was their moment. And sometimes all you have to do is, is ask. But again, care about people, not just about quotas. And you'll spread the goodness of God. Philippians uh, 2, 3, and 4 says this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. The message translation says it this way. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your, uh, getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. So good. And the final one is this. Do your work aware that Jesus is your boss. 
Do your work aware that Jesus is your boss. When you understand who you're working for, you're working for God, not people. It changes everything. It helps you get the job done and do it well and be joyful at it. I remember out mowing lawns. I would keep this in mind. There was two things that I would think about mowing lawns. One is that I was, uh, I'll get to that one. First thing that I would think about is how can I mow this lawn faster? Every time I mow a lawn, I'm thinking, how can I mow it faster? How can I mow it faster? And then the second thing I'd think about is that I'm working for the Lord, not the person that employed me. And sometimes I would go back and trim something that I'd missed because I was going too fast. And the grass was high. I said, no, I don't like that because I'm working for the Lord. And I'd go back and I'd run the trimmer again because it wasn't satisfactory in how the Lord wanted it done. Two things that I had in mind that I was out working and that's helpful to keep in mind. 1 Peter 4.11 says this, If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. See, God put this in place so that we could crush it in the kingdom. Six ways to see the goodness of God come through in your workplace. So how'd you do on the boxes down the side? Did you check one or two or three? Hopefully not all six. <laughs> but you know we can always improve when we look at these things. And the reality is that the world works off or thinks about... Uh, they, they just have different standards of how they look at things than we do. I mean, we, we look at our work and, and things going on off of our intentions. But they look at our actions. And sometimes we're guilty of saying, oh, that doesn't matter, or this doesn't matter. But in reality, it does to God when we think about our work being our ministry. That as we shift that in our hearts, my work is my ministry. I'm in the will of God, whatever I'm doing. I'm doing it for the glory of God. And then to realize that there's times that, uh, in, that, that we're in this workplace that we can be burned out. It can happen. That we're given our all. And sometimes we get stretched in that which we're doing or that which it's called for. And Jesus had a remedy for that. He said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. he said, Come to me. All you are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, he didn't just say, take a break. He said, come to me. There's a difference. There's a difference between taking a break and coming to Jesus. And Jesus says, when you come to me, he says that I will put a, a yoke. <clears throat> we'll yoke up together. And if you understand yokes, you probably can picture you have two, you have two oxen together. And Jesus said, you know, when you really yoke up with me, he said that I'll do the heavy lifting if you let me. And you can be in the yoke with me, but I'll do the heavy. I'm a good material handler. I can really handle that stuff, but you got to let me do it. And you can't take it on. And he goes on to say that uh, when you yoke up with me, he says, and learn from me. So Jesus has things to teach us, perspectives to give that we don't have yet. That's why we're burned out. And then he goes on to say after that, he says, for I am gentle and humble at heart. He'll, he'll treat you really tenderly. 
if you get to a burned out state. And he said, you will find rest for your souls. You'll get refreshed. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So maybe you're at that place today and you're thinking, wow, I'm, I'm really, really burned out. Again, take those verses, reflect upon, let the Lord begin to minister into your life. See, it's not about 40 hours at work and two hours with Jesus. It's 42 hours with Jesus. And it happens to be at your work setting, it happens to be at church, it happens to be at prayer meeting, or it happens to be out eating and talking to a waitress, or it happens to be a conversation of somebody you met. It's not, it's not the either or, it's both. And that's the way God intended it. He's a worker. He created you to work. And in Christ, we do good works. We bring the goodness of God to our workplace. And that's how we should think. That's how we should understand. That's how Jesus lived his life. So today, what I want to do is I want to commission you again, if you would like that. Actually, this is the double commissioning. One that didn't know what I was preaching on. I mean, I told her, but she didn't know I was going to do this. So she commissioned you there at the end of worship. And I'm going to commission you again to go into the workplace and be a light. To bring the goodness of God. To think, wake up tomorrow morning and read Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Memorize it if you're challenged with that. Look at the six boxes of where you can bring the goodness of God and say, well, I need to make an adjustment here. God, help me. And you walk into that place thinking you're not going to work, but you're actually bringing the goodness of God into that place where God's already there. You're just making it evident to those that don't see it or don't see Him. Isn't that a great way to live? I think it is. So if you're interested in being recommissioned and bringing the goodness of God into your workplace, just stand up. Just stand up and we're going to say this uh, prayer together. I think you'll like it. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in the spirit of Jesus. Let's start this again. All right. I'm going to say a phrase and you can repeat after me if it's in your heart. Heavenly Father, in the spirit of Jesus. Now I know you mean it. I declare my work as my ministry. In serving a God that works. And being created in his workmanship. I am now called to bring the goodness of God. Into my workplace. Keep me aware of your presence. Ability to persevere by your power. To shine the light of Jesus to others. Let me never separate again. My work from your ministry. Thank you for the example of Jesus. And his word to guide me into all truth. I am prepared to work into, walk into my workplace. Tomorrow. And crush it for the kingdom. Amen.